0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Transfer Portal CFB podcast presented by No Contact CFB. I'm your host, Dylan Ruben King. I am joined by Liam and Jake, and our special guest picker for the week is Petros Papadakis. Petros, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure to be
1: here. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's great to see you guys. And uh, it's a great time of the year for me because October is when things slow down. And I don't do two games a week because Fox has uh, a lot of baseball. And and the Pac-12 gets all their bye weeks out of the way. So there's one less Pac-12 game. So I dive deep into the Mountain West and I don't come out until after Halloween. So things have slowed down a little for me. So I'm happy to join you guys and chop it up today.
0: Well, We're so happy that you're here to chop it up with us. I'm a huge Mountain West fan, so I'm always made sure to tune in on FS1 and on Fox to to hear you talking about some good old Mountain West football. We're going to kick it off with the biggest storyline of week seven. Obviously, this is such a crazy jam-packed slate. So many ranked games, a couple of top 10 games. You got the FCS game of the year, just so much going on. So Petros, what is the biggest storyline of week seven to you? What are you most excited to see?
1: Uh, I mean, out here, out West, I'm, I'm interested to see if USC can keep it going, you know, uh, taking on Utah at Rice Eccles stadium, Utah coming off a rough loss to UCLA, but I really still think Utah is kind of the gold standard in the PAC 12 for consistency. We, we kind of lack that. We kind of have a tendency to cannibalize ourselves, uh, around this time of year. So, uh, It'll be fun to see Utah's always a toe-to-toe football team, and they're really well coached, and they're tough at the line of scrimmage, which will make it a little more difficult for USC to move the ball at will offensively. And uh, USC's been great. You know, Lincoln Riley's basically fixed USC to where they're going to win 10 games a year, and that keeps the area engaged in the team, and it keeps the national media engaged in usc football which means you know for the time being whoever they're playing like utah or washington state uh becomes you know something people want to see so uh that helps the whole west coast out and uh it's good to see so uh i'm pretty much focused on that game i'm sure for you guys it'll be some alabama shit or something but for me uh it is it's that game and of course my game uh, which is Fresno hosting San Jose State for the Green V uh, Trophy.
2: Yeah, so for me, my biggest storyline of this week is going to be, is Michigan actually good? Um, Michigan has not yet been really tested. We saw on Saturday that Indiana really did test Michigan. But up to that, I mean, up to this point, they haven't played anybody on on their schedule that is legitimately like good. So they come into this game against Penn State, which we're going to talk about more later. Um, Two teams with very similar offenses that balance the passing and running games. So I'm excited to see if Penn State can go into the big house and, uh, and make some noise. So I guess we'll find out if Michigan is actually good or not.
3: Yeah, I actually went with something that more people need to be talking about. It's the Big 12 Conference Championship race, and it's already heating up. And these next few weeks, are really might just decide what two teams are playing out in that championship game. We have Kansas State, who, yes, is 3-0 in conference playing on a bye. But they set the top and they got TCU next week. Oklahoma stay in TCU. We know play this week. They're both 2 0 in conference. They're both hopeful of maybe making that outside push at a playoff berth. The winner of that, that game is getting a huge, huge advantage with the tiebreaker over the other team. So that's something to keep an eye on. Kansas sits at 2 and 1 in conference. They're getting 0 3 OU, but a loss most likely ends there. Chances of appearing in conference title game, Texas is two-and-one conference. They host Iowa State. They have Oklahoma on the road next. A win gets them the three and one, puts them in a good spot. This race is going to be really good. We have a bunch of significant games in these next few days, uh, weeks, whatever. It's going to be a really good race. It's, it's going to be fun. So I'm really excited
0: for that. Buckle up. It's really funny that you say that, because what I wrote down was this is definitely the biggest week in terms of postseason implications that we've had so far, not just for any particular conference, but for college football playoff. And you could argue really any division or conference. I mean, I think Alabama, Tennessee could really decide who gets a playoff spot. You have NC State and Syracuse who, you know, should Clemson fall and slip up, that could decide the ACC Atlantic. Um, In my opinion, Oklahoma State, TCU, whoever wins that, wins the Big 12. Um, like Petros was talking about Utah, I still think is one of the best teams in the Pac-12 they'll keep their Pac-12 title hopes alive if they beat USC and then the big 10 West and East could both be, um, at stake potentially this week. So I just think when we're sitting in December, we're looking at the conference title game slate. We're going to look back at this week as one of the biggest games or one of the biggest weekends in terms of how we got there. Um, and, you know, a lot of the teams that we're going to be talking about are undefeated because there's, I think, 16 or 17 undefeated teams, if I'm not mistaken. And so, Jake, you were talking about Michigan, if they're for real. So we're going to talk about who's for real out of those undefeated teams. Which one is the biggest fraud? So, Petros, let's start with you. Which undefeated team are you not feeling so far? I <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I don't know if. Like to me, uh, if you're undefeated at this time of the year, you're still, you're playing pretty well. Like I don't have the, I don't really kind of look at it in the same perspective. I mean, for me, if you're winning conference games, like uh, you talked about Michigan, you know, and how they they haven't proven anything. I don't think that's true. You know, I mean, I think when you go and you play conference football games and you find a way to win and you know, we're, eh, we're, we're, we're almost, you know, in mid-October, you you've played a lot of good football and you have a lot to feel good about. So, I mean, I don't really, you know, I don't really look at it in that way. I mean, you can say, you know, a little earlier, like Michigan State, Wisconsin, and I mean, they're kind of victims of the ranking system and the fact that we rank teams, you know, <laughs> long before we should. And, yep. you know, you look at like a Washington team and it's like, wow, they beat Michigan state or Washington state. You're like, wow, they, they beat Wisconsin. And you're like, well, you know, what does that mean? You know, at this point, and teams change and things change in people's lives to make teams change. You know, it, it just happens. But to me there's no such thing at this point in the season as a, fraudulent undefeated team. I have to pass on the question.
2: All right. Well, uh, that certainly differs from what I'm about to say. Um, so I'm going to go with the Ole Miss rebels. I think that they are probably the worst team without a doubt in the top 10 that's still remaining. Um, their biggest test, I guess that they've had yet was a pretty okay Kentucky team who, I don't know how they're still ranked by the way. Um, they struggled a lot with Vanderbilt, especially in the first half. Um, of their game on Saturday and they play Auburn this weekend. And I actually think that Auburn has a decent chance of getting the upset there. Uh, so for me, it's Ole Miss. And if they don't win this weekend, I mean, they play LSU next weekend, and then they come here to college station and play A&M on the 29th at Kyle Field. So um, I think that there's a lot of potential for Ole Miss to lose some games here in this upcoming stretch.
3: Yeah, I definitely understand that. I'm surprised that you guys haven't said team I'm going with because these guys haven't played anybody they needed a Hail Mary to beat Buffalo Holy Cross nah seriously (laughs) though I I think it's Michigan like they might not be the biggest fraud but they are a big fraud and yes you guys did talk about them a bit and Petros does bring up fair points about they are winning conference games and everything but let's just dive into this non-conference wins against Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn inflate their numbers extremely extremely those are some of the worst absolute worst programs in the country although Colorado State did just win the sicko Super Bowl which Petros got to witness so man that was that was a joy to watch but Michigan's each of their three conference wins have come against Maryland Iowa Indiana they weren't comfortable thrashings they were all uncomfortably uncomfortably close despite what the final score indicates haven't felt like this team has been truly dominant uh, maybe I'm missing something at this point in the season. I'm just not seeing that vision that some on the other share. Um, I mean, you look at this. They've played six teams. Five of those teams are 98th or worse in scoring offense. Four of them are 121st or worse. That number via CFB Nerds. The schedule's awfully nice to them. They've had they have three tough games on their schedule. With that road Iowa game, you have Penn State. You're at Ohio State. They got one of them so far. I don't think they get those R two. I don't think they beat Penn State. I don't think they beat Ohio State. I think they're going to struggle against the good competition they play. But the schedule's so like nice, like they can still go ten and two or eleven and one. And it's just like I don't think they're as good as their records going to show.
0: I tend to agree with with Petro's here because I looked at all the undefeated teams, and there's not one to me that really jumps off the page um, as a fraud. Um, when you stack them against each other, I think one that a lot of people will kind of scratch their heads at is Syracuse, just because I think their best wins at Purdue and then not much else really screams that this team is legit. Um, that Purdue win was really impressive, but, um, you know, the, the Sean Tucker experience isn't, hasn't been quite as explosive as it was last year. Obviously he had the big game recently. Um, but the, the passing offense with Garrett Schrader has been much improved. The defense is much improved. Um, I'm just not quite sure that team is in the upper echelon of the ACC yet, but I'm not ready to call them a fraud just because of how crazy that division is. Maybe they'll, you know, um, stumble against NC State or a Clemson or a Wake Forest down the line. They've still got a lot of high quality football left to play. Mm -hmm. And then Penn State is another one that I looked at. Um, Their offensive consistency worries me quite a bit there are days when they look average, there are days where they look like one of the best offenses in the country. I'm not going to take stock into the Northwestern game because they were playing in a monsoon. So that's, that one's out of the picture, but I really don't think that they can keep up with the Michigans and Ohio States because we never know what kind of Sean Clifford we're going to get the rushing offense. We kind of know that Nick Singleton can absolutely bury defenses and you know, the other two guys in the backfield as well can be lethal if Singleton gets stopped, but, um we know that with the defense is going to be good I'm just concerned about how far Sean Clifford can take them I think that's a a lot of Penn State fans will argue as well
3: I know who could take them far shout out to Aller
0: exactly exactly well now let's go on the flip side which team that's off to a slow start do you think has a chance to make some noise in the second half of the season Petrus we'll start with you
1: oh I don't know uh Teams that get their players back are always, you know, kind of, when guys are hurt, you know, like when, like in the Mountain West, the best quarterback is is out, one of them, Jake Hayner, and he's week to week. He's not going to play uh, at home this week in the big Devontae Adams number retirement game, which should be interesting now that he pushed that poor camera guy down last night at the Monday night football game. So, uh, yeah, it uh I think teams that get players back, you know, I mean, you guys make it complicated. You know, uh, at a certain point, these are guys in plastic outfits that are running into each other, uh, and 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 we call it, you know, some kind of genius uh, endeavor. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think you know, uh, it's really in the transfer portal and modern day college football. You know, you really get one quarterback. And maybe a young guy that's waiting his turn, but we just don't see much of that. So a lot of the time, if somebody loses their guy, you know, it's like an NFL situation. You know, it's really, you know, who's behind him, you know, and is that guy, uh, how far is the drop off? So I think if you look at teams like that, you know, Fresno State is one of them, you know, they've, they've had a rough time. And uh, I think, you know, just like a lot of these teams that you guys mentioned that are kind of in like a fist fight every single week in conference, you know, feels like Iowa States like that, you know, I mean, you can have the ball roll your way a couple times in the fourth quarter and you look up and you've won two or three more conference games than you thought. So uh, it's always interesting to see this, this time of year, because, you know, you look at a team and you say, well, what happened that week? Oh my God, they went up to Corvallis and lost. Oh, I forgot. You know, Uh, that kind of stuff happens uh, all the time. So this time of year is, is the time of year for that. But yeah, I'd like to see Fresno state get their quarterback back and Jeff Tedford call plays with that guy.
2: Yeah, for me, and this is, I'm going to give it a disclaimer. This is a complete Homer pick, um, but I genuinely believe it. I'm going to go with Texas A&M.
1: Is that, is he an A&M guy? I couldn't tell.
2: (laughs) Um, So I, I've got a few reasons why I genuinely do believe that. Um, one, it seems based on some reporting that uh, that I've seen going around that the rumor is is that Haynes King is in a boot right now, um, which would mean that it's likely going to be Connor Wigman time uh, here for the Yaggies, And there's a lot of potential with that. I think his arm talent is excellent. And I think he could really open up the offense and get the ball to Evan Stewart, which a has not been doing enough. And if you watch the game on Saturday against Alabama, A&M needs to do that more. Also get the ball to Chris Marshall. Um, and a and also going to be gaining back several key defenders. So this bye week is really well timed for A&M. Um, Jalen Jones is going to be back. Tyreek Chappelle is going to be back. Um, Adeli is going to be back. And then there are some others. Um, especially on the offensive line that's been a little bit banged up that we've seen early through the season. So I think that AM getting healthy and having this favorable second half of the season schedule, with the hardest game left being against Ole Miss, um, you know, I think that there's tremendous potential on the schedule for the Aggies to win out, honestly. Um, so, you know, watch out wow. for AM. I think they could be back.
3: Nice man's out
2: jersey. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just so obvious. Like, I don't care what their record shows. It's so obviously Boise State. This is a team that could pick up full steam ahead. They have Air Force. They have BYU. Other than that, they should win every game that they play. And yes, they could still win those two because we've seen a complete shift on the offensive side of the ball. Because somehow, some way, after Hank Bachmeyer transferred, after Tim Plow got canned, they were able to figure out. Oh my gosh. We have this monster in Talon Green. Let's just activate his legs, and it opens up the entire offense. It's almost like this is what I was begging them to do since I watched the Oregon State game. And like, this is a team that scored 10 points and I lost at Utah. That's unacceptable for the Boise State program. It's pretty much unacceptable for any FBS program, Heck, even some FCS ones. But this is an offensive line that has improved. With Talon Green at quarterback, they've just been better in the run game. The rushing attack is so lethal with Talon Green. George Helani, Ashton Jante, the true freshman, is going to be an absolute star at Boise State. That's an NFL kid, 100%. I think they're the clear favorite to win the Mound West still. There's still a path to go 9-3 and or 10-2. and And yes, again, with good wins over Air Force and BYU, if Boise State was ran off, it was a mistake from a lot of people. Taylor Green is that dude.
0: Second year in a row that Georgia State could turn around a really slow start and go bowling. They started 1-4 and four last year, 1-7 of 8, dominated Ball State in the Camellia Bowl. This year, they start 0-4. Oh they had a really tough non-conference schedule. They had South Carolina, North Carolina, Coastal. I mean, that was just a brutal gauntlet to start the season. But they've won their last two. They outlasted Georgia Southern in a shootout. I think this team is really, really dangerous. Darren Granger is coming into his own at quarterback. They have one of the best running back duos in the country and Tucker Gregg and Jamias Williams. They still have a really tough road schedule. They have to play at App State, at James Madison and at Marshall. I wouldn't put it past this team to pull off one or two of those upsets and shake up the Sun Belt a bit, because I think this team is really figuring itself out the defense We'll give up a lot of yards and a lot of points, but they'll turn you over. They're they're second in the country in turnovers. They will jump in the passing lanes. They'll they'll jump into the backfield and force fumbles. I think this is a team that could make a difference in the Sun Belt and maybe not win the conference, but definitely uh, change up the picture quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Petros, you talked about it earlier. Let's transition to the game that you're calling this weekend. You've only got one, which I'm sure is exciting for you. So <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into that game a little bit. What are you looking forward to?
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, I haven't talked to the coaches yet. You know, so once I I do this with the coaches and, you know, you get a if you know the guys, which I I know those coaches a little bit, uh, you get a little bit of an idea of what's going on if they trust you and they tell you. Uh, But San Jose State looks great, you know, and I've always really liked uh, Brett Brennan. Uh, Shevin Cordero is taken to coaching. Uh, That's not from the Grams and uh he's had a lot of uh success he hasn't thrown a pick all year uh they've got some good transfers a couple guys from nevada like uh, elijah cooks who's like 40 years old and uh i mean these dudes are old i was old you know I, i had a red shirt because of an injury and i transferred from cal but geez these guys are old a lot of guys are in their sixth year and Good for them, you know, keep it going as long as you can. College football is fun to play. Of course, it destroys your body. Uh, they got another guy, Lockhart from Nevada. And uh, they're rushing the hell out of the passer. Guys like Fajoco are doing a great job. So uh Stanford, I mean, excuse me, San Jose State, same area, looks like kind of the class of the West part of the mountain west. And uh, and I agree with a little bit of what you said about Boise State, you know, I think. You know, that's been Andy Avalos' vision because he's a defensive coach for a long time. And that was at odds to what they were doing with the offensive coordinator hire, which is a Davis guy. And there's a coaching triangle between Davis, Oregon, and Boise. They all, so they gave Tim Plough the benefit of the doubt for a long time, maybe against Avalos' wishes. And uh, it feels like after that UTEP loss, like you said, Avalos was able to say, okay, I'm going to get fired over this. Give me what I want. I want to start this guy. So Bachmeier sees the writing on the wall. He's got the four game window. I want to fire Tim. I want Cutter to do the the play calling. And they've changed their identity and they have a great defense, you know, with JL Skinner and Matlock and George Tarlis and a lot of physical players. So I agree. You know, I, I really think that that uh, that's changed things for Boise state, that guy's not a great thrower uh, yeah, Taylor a to work on. and uh, at some point somebody's going to stop the run and you know that's they're going to be in a, in a dog fight that way uh, but if they got that run game going it opens up everything it opens up him being able to run the ball for everybody else and easier throws for the guy so uh we'll we'll see how that shakes out but fresno i feel bad for you know they're uh they are a, a really well-coached football team. You can tell that they got a couple of guys back last week. Uh, uh, Dante Bowl comes to mind uh, on the offensive line that we didn't know we were going to see, but it still looks like Josh Kelly, the receiver, and then more importantly, the two captains, Evan Williams and Jake Hayner, are out. Uh, it is a road game. It is a road conference game. That guy Fife is—he's uh, better. Uh, than he was the week before. I mean, he he pulled together a couple drives against Boise State and kept Fresno in the game and made it a game. But uh, and maybe he'll play more comfortable at home, so it'll be more competitive. Uh, but San Jose State is
0: definitely the hottest team uh, in that conference right now, in my opinion. So we had to we had to ask you while you're here, while we have you what it's like to call multiple games in a weekend. Like, what is that preparation like? And, you know, if anybody's trying to get into broadcasting, what should, what should they know about that sort of preparation and what it takes?
1: You know, the thing, I, that's the thing about, you know, broadcasting and advice and all that. It's like, I was a USC football player and I was a little different. You know, I was like an English major. So I was kind of weird. And back then the newspaper was more prevalent. So the writers kind of liked me and uh, they wrote about me. You know, I was, you know, not a mediocre player, but I was, you know, a little above serviceable and mediocre, I guess maybe. Like, and I scored touchdowns uh, as a short yardage guy and I had some speed. So uh, I just, I didn't have any ambition to do it, uh, but I was just kind of roped into the work uh, when I was 23, 24. And uh, you know, it was hard. I learned uh uh I'm very irreverent in a lot of ways and I took my lumps, but you know, I was in my mid-20s and I was doing national college football games and calling games on TV. So, you know, I've been doing it a long I'm 45, but I've been doing it 23 years for Fox, you know. So uh I've had a lot of time to learn how to prep a game, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh I think the most important thing uh, for games on television uh, are, are to really work with production, you know, as opposed to sitting here and memorizing numbers about the passing offense or, you know, different stuff that you see during a football game on the screen uh, stats and, and such uh, is really get the idea of, cause I'm an analyst, right? So the idea of what I think the game's going to be like or who we should watch or just discussion, you know, like we're having about the game, you know, and laugh about the game, talk about the game, live the game all week, you know. And then by the time the game starts, no matter who it is, you know, like the sicko bowl or the one we did on Friday, you know, no matter who it is, it's, uh, uh, it's fun because it's your game. You know, no one else got that game. And it's your story to tell. And, you know, it might be a, a boring story or, but you can not You can only do your best with what you have. Uh, so I train people for Fox a lot of the time. Uh, I used to for years when I was on the road, I had some successes uh, like Joel Klatt, you know, was a new broadcaster. We did a three-man booth. We didn't really have a training thing. But I did train, you know, uh, like Mark Helfrich and uh, uh, some other guys that haven't worked out, NFL Hall of Famers mostly. But uh, I remember when we were doing Helfrich, uh, the very first game we had was uh, Tom Herman's first game at Texas. when then Maryland went down and beat their ass with DJ Durkin and the presidential backfield. And, uh, you know, it was a great game. Place is full, great energy. I mean, it's Austin for, you know, in the first game, new coach, Bevo, the whole deal. And Helfrich is a good analyst and it came out, you know, that he's a good play caller and he can explain it during the game. And everybody at Fox was excited and it was an exciting game. And we were happy. We went and had a beer and tacos and all smiles, you know. The next week we had Oklahoma State at uh, Oregon State. And, uh, or no, no, Minnesota at Oregon State. P.J. Fleck chest bumped his wife on the 50 after the victory, (laughs) like sprinting and chest bumped her. And, uh, but that was not an exciting game. It was a herky-jerky game with reviews and a lot of penalties. And, you know, uh, it just wasn't that competitive. And after the game, he looked at me and was like, uh, you know, what, what can I do better? How to you know, what happened? And I said, nothing happened. It just, it wasn't a good game. You know, you, you know, you, you're just a product. You're just part of this production, you know, and that's my advice, you know, to, to everybody is especially on television, you know, radio is different. You got to keep the bike pedaling and, and you got to keep pedaling or it just falls over. Uh, but in TV, The cool thing about a game on TV is the game on TV. It's the fact that we have great cameras and we're looking at this, right? You watch the game in the bar on mute. The guy that tells you what's happening is the director, you know, the guy that's cutting cameras, you know, and we concentrate so much in our business on the guys that are talking. And, you know, this is my moment to deliver the message and, you know, To a certain degree, that's true, but the best broadcasters are the ones that work the most closely with the producer and the director all week and all game, you know? Uh, And, uh, you know, we get away from that because it's hard to get these jobs, you know? So once you get the job, you feel like, oh shit, you know, I I better do it, you know? And it's true, you know? I mean, but most everybody, to be honest, talks way too much you know, during the games and, uh, you know, and they don't talk to the pictures, you know, and that's just what I try to do. So with that in mind, and then, you know, there is no substitute for having done West coast games for 20 years. You know, I know all these guys, ex-coaches, guys they played with, like, you know, it's a football web. So, you know, that kind of holds you up. Um, uh, And then you do, okay, who's starting, who's playing, who's hurt, you know, how's, they're targeting this guy a bunch, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, But I guess that's a long roundabout answer, but it's a, it's a, it's a long week of, uh, of preparation, but once you do it, it's easy to do two, three is a lot just because of the meetings, you know, with the coaches and you can get confused, but two is easy. And one is almost
3: like not working if I don't have to travel you and Alex and your entire crew just do a tremendous job and thank goodness that you guys focus so much on the fans and the wackiness that's happening in the stands too well you know that's
1: a director you know Mm -hmm. I mean they find that you know we have our people there that are working and uh, you know if it's a bad game you gotta have some fun at the end and you know that's kind of how we do it like I do a radio show I'm sure you guys aren't familiar with but I sound like a complete freak on the radio. Like I go nuts, you know, and it's very different from what I call a game. You know, when you call a game, it's about the kids that are playing, you try to get their names, right. You know, all that stuff. And it's a football forward thing, but when we have time and it's kind of boring at the end and we've got to get the breaks in and finish, you know, I try to honor the kids that are playing uh, at that time, but at the same time we have a little bit more fun. So, yeah.
2: And I I just want to say, I really appreciate that, uh, that answer, just because, you know, as a kid, I grew up listening to guys like Brent Musburger, who are legendary in calling college football. And, uh, you know, hearing those kind of answers about all the prep and stuff like that, I think is really useful to, you know, all the kids out there that want to get into a a business that's already so saturated with all this talent. So, you know, the the best ones are going to be the ones that put in the most work to, you know, propel themselves up the ladder. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for that.
1: Well, the interesting thing to me is, you know, when I started doing games, not all the games were on TV. You know, you'd have to, you know, like, let's say you're Mississippi State or Cal, you know, two or three of your games every year, maybe, maybe more, probably less would just be on the radio, you know. And so it's cool that there's a bunch of games on TV. But like you said, it saturates the market with a lot of broadcast and production that's not properly doing the job. And I think that's why, to a certain degree, FS1 and Fox would rather have, you know, me do two night games than have somebody maybe who's a little, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up, you know, Get to get more people involved. But uh, there's a lot of games on now, and they're trying to cover all of them. And when you got – think about it like this. It's not just Fox College Football. A lot of people and my colleagues work NFL as well. They work, they're going to all, half of them are going to freaking Qatar, you know, when the world cup starts, you know, I'm going to lose my producer for the last two weeks. Uh, major league the baseball playoffs have started, you know, my director goes, you know, so, you know, uh, everybody's stretched pretty far down the rope there. Uh, And they're trying to get everything they possibly can on TV because live sports on TV is what's keeping television alive. You know, otherwise everybody else is just going to watch everything else on their own uh, on their own time and their own dime. So uh, it's an interesting time. And you know, it's great that there's more opportunity, but also some of these broadcasts I watch because I have to prep the next game. And I'm like, you know, analyst should not talk during the freaking call like while well, the guy's going like and he's going down to and then you hear this analyst go ooh, ooh, oh there he is oh he's open oh shit and it's like what are you doing what what are we doing like somebody and and like the producer's got to say we can't do that you know and then it pisses the play-by-play guy off and he goes home and calls all his friends from Syracuse and complains (laughs) about the analyst. And I mean, it's just a circle of hatred, you know, it's just like, shut up when the guys talk, you know, let him have the call, let him have the call. You know, that's what I told Joel when he started working with Gus and Joel never had that problem anyway, but I just said, let him have his big call. And then he'll love you. You know, whatever else happens after that, you know, everything will be great. And uh, you know, you gotta let that happen. Uh, let everybody do their job.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate that insight as someone who's, um, you know, an inspiring play-by-play broadcaster. And I've I've done it a couple of times over radio and over, you know, TV and stream and stuff like that. I definitely understand the grinds of, of the prep. Um, and so I really appreciate that insight and everybody's going to be tuned in to Fresno state and San Jose state. All of us, every college football fan <laughs> got to be tuned into that game to, to hear your majestic voice. But what's <laughs> one other game that, you're looking forward to watching um or catching, you know, before you have to call the game. Who's plan? A
1: lot
3: of good teams.
1: All right. Hold games. on.
0: I'll look. Gosh, you guys.
1: <laughs> you guys with your global universal view of the sport. Uh Isn't it great. Yeah, I like I love your guys' side. It's fun. And you know what? Everybody in the everybody, that's one cool thing about doing the games in the Fox studio. You know, everybody follows. No context college football. And uh and everybody gets excited if something comes up from our game, you know, and you know, as long as it's not embarrassing to production. <laughs> and uh and uh and usually it's not, you know, and uh so ooh, I like Baylor, West Virginia because I really like Aranda. Okay, uh Penn State, Michigan, and that gets all the people freaked out, all the weird Big Ten types. So that'll that be that'll they're
3: be gonna love seeing all the punts.
1: And I I was I was training Demarco Murray uh and uh we, we had a meeting with uh with, with Penn State and him and uh Mason they got in like a like a like a handshake like they got like like they were trying to like they were like they were gonna be in a fist fight. He's like, oh you're trying to pump me and he's like oh ho, ho. and I was like whoa. It was very odd moment. Uh, let me see. I hope Washington gets a win. It would be fun if Stanford beat Notre Dame with how much they've been struggling. So. Yeah, that would be a lot. That would be really cool. Looks like Notre Dame hired their own uh, Clay Helton. Uh,
3: Goodness. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was just out of nowhere. That was hilarious. The
1: players love him. Love him. Uh, ooh, can Colorado State make it two in a row? No. Uh, yeah, I guess Michigan Penn State is, is the most interesting because my producer is a Michigan like guy, you know, and he understands football very well, and whenever they play, you know, like they might be up 25 and he's just, he's losing his mind, you know, like, what are we doing? You know? Uh, so that that's kind of fun. My 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 favorite thing that happened last year in college football was uh, I listened to the radio bar- broadcast of Dan Deardorff and I forget who the play by play guy was, it was their last year together, two old guys doing Michigan football. And when they started to run over Ohio state, the guys started crying on the air. You know, they're like, "Oh, I can't believe it!" You know, and that was pretty cool. You know, especially in the snow, and they were in the big house, and the way they were running the ball. You know, that that kind of stuff is everybody's watching it, and it's pretty epic. Uh, so that'll be, you know, Big Noon will do a great job with that Penn State game, and and that'll be fun. That'll be fun to watch. And Harbaugh versus, uh, I mean, those guys are going to sit there and bump jaws the whole time. So that'll be fun.
2: Yeah, uh, for my pick, um, Franklin I'm going versus with,
1: Harbaugh. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be going with a uh, pretty enticing coaching matchup as well this week. Uh, probably the game of the year in the Big Twelve. Uh, it's the Oklahoma State Cowboys versus the TCU Horn Frogs. Uh, I'm a big Sonny Dykes fan. And, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, he, he's coach, a good guy. Yeah, he's
1: a really nice guy. Most coaches are pretty phony, but he's actually a really good guy.
2: And I I think that him and Gundy uh, is a really, really exciting matchup uh, for the sport. And I think that this has the potential of being an all-around shootout uh, with two teams that, you know, their teams are centered around the offense. And uh, especially with the way that Spencer Sanders has been playing this year, he's looked light years better than he did, especially early on in his college career. And Max Duggan has also just looked incredible this year. Um, This is TCU's first really big test because – it's been made pretty clear that Oklahoma is not the Oklahoma that we're used to seeing. So I think that having to face this Oklahoma state offense, um, it's going to be really challenging to their defense. These are both teams that average upwards of 460 yards of offense a game. Um, TCU themselves puts up, puts up 530 yards a game, which as an Aggie, I could never imagine that. Um, so, you know, th- that's really exciting to watch. And uh, you know, neither of these two teams uh, have relied on their defense very much this year to win games. So uh i'm just really excited to see what happens there
3: you know i would love to say washington state oregon state but like 35 people are going to be able to watch that game because it's on pac-12 network so let's go with the game that we're actually able to watch because i don't have pac-12 network look a lot of good games this week what's going on wednesday Playoff baseball, if you're actually watching playoff baseball over Louisiana, Lafayette, and Marshall, we've got to talk. Like, we have to have a conversation. i got to work. you got to work. Okay, let's call in sick. Let's watch ULL Marshall. This is going to be a good game for two teams that are desperate in the Sunbelt. It's a really good Sunbelt, sunbelt conference. They are two, you know, strong. ULL's really disappointed. I think that's being ex- – Extremely overlooked this season. Uh, they've got to get a win desperately. Marshall needs another win after beating Notre Dame. What have they done? They lost to bowling green. You've lost to bowling green after beating Notre Dame. It's inexplicable to think about. Uh, they also lost to Troy. Their offense just struggles to move the ball. Uh, I love Marshall's defense, though. There's a lot more I could talk about in this game, but I won't. What I will say. Marshall has two NFL cornerbacks and Steven Gilmore, the brother of Stephon Gilmore, and Micah Abraham, the son of Donnie Abraham. NFL bloodlines are there. Two dudes that are going to play in the NFL soon enough. Two of the best corners in the country. They don't get the respect they deserve. Both have three interceptions. They're both studs. Please watch this game and not playoff baseball, please.
2: <laughs> I live in a house a of- with two Astros fans. We're going to be watching playoff baseball. I'm sorry, Liam. It's a mistake.
0: They're not playing on a Wednesday. It's Tuesday and Thursday. Hello, I'm Tuesday and Thursday. It, okay, so, cool. I thought yeah. it was back
2: to back. All right, there we go. Yep. Oh, sorry. Right. But, was... sorry. What I'm going to
3: witness is during that Dodgers game, the broadcast is actually going to cut into a Micah Abraham interception while like Cody Bellinger's up and people are going to lose their minds. Like we didn't deal with Aaron Judge Cousins.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be glorious? I'm I'm going to roll with the Mountain West just because I I've Kept up with this conference. I, I love it. Air Force UNLV should be a really enticing one on Saturday night. These teams are performing kind of the complete opposite of how I envision they would. I still think Air Force is a really good team, but I honestly didn't think that they would lose two conference games all year. And they've lost two of three to start. They had a top five defense last year. They're kind of getting pushed around a little bit to start this year. And then UNLV looks completely competent, of course aside from the, the San Jose State game, uh, that's kind of an anomaly Poor to how God. they've been playing. Um, yeah, Doug Brunfield getting injured is, is brutal. Um, I think Cameron Friel is a capable backup. They also have a former five-star in Harrison Bagley back there too. The run game has looked awesome. The defense has been improved. But, you know, against the Air Force attack with Brad Roberts and Zeke Daniels might struggle. So I think this could be a shootout. I, I'm really interested to see how UNLV performs without Doug Brumfield because he is still kind of day-to-day with, I believe it's a head and an ankle injury. Um, so we'll see what Cameron Friel is made of if it's his call. And, you know, I, I want to see a convincing win for Air Force just because I think they're much better than their, their one and two conference record shows. Um, yeah. And speaking of, of, oh, yeah, go ahead. I do just want to bring this up because of, like,
3: just concussion talk in football and everything, obviously what's happened with Tua. It's being overlooked what UNLV did with Brumfield. He got hit in the New Mexico game near the end of it, clearly took a hit to the head, uh, comes back in, throws a touchdown pass a few plays later, and then against the San Jose State game, you know, he goes out, I don't know how long after, but there's a play where he ends up, you know, he's rolling to his right. He gets hit down. He hits his head, and he stays in for a while. If he really had the head injury, like, there's two plays there that UNLV clearly didn't take the proper steps with.
0: Absolutely. Welcome to football. Yeah, welcome, to, mean, football. I... Yeah, welcome <laughs> to football. Just yeah, feel bad what... for these kids. Once you brought up the word concussion, you know, they, I was like, oh, boy. They
1: They play football because they're football players. They don't want to come out, you know, it's no, a, very, know. Yeah. it's a very complicated thing. You know, I mean, it's, I love everybody's outrage about it because it's like, you know, Oh my God, you know, look at that guy wobbling around. Okay. When's the next game? What do we, you know, and everybody concentrates on what a quarterback gets hurt just because the camera's on him. I mean, the, that happens on the right guard three times a year. You know, I mean, it, I don't understand the love of the sport and then also just being disgusted with the product. Head injuries are part of it. It shouldn't be in a perfect world. We wouldn't have the sport, but I mean, come on, you know, you can't, it's very difficult to sit here and try to delegate it on every team in every moment in the middle of a college football game. Mm -hmm. And when we see something happen to the quarterback, you know, it becomes this big conversation where, you know, I mean, watch the middle linebacker for the whole game, see how that guy gets up from every time, you know, he meets the fullback in the A gap and they run an ISO play, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and it's not, you know, it's not you guys, you know, it's the, it's the, it is the overall global, you know, kind of coverage of football today where, you know, we can't, we can't reconcile. Football's never been more popular, but we've never been able to reconcile it less. You know, the people that really, everybody wants to watch a sport and be involved. Nobody likes how the sausage is made. They don't want to watch it happen. And when that, you know, I, I don't know. Uh It's just, it's wild, you know, uh, the storylines that take over every year because a certain guy gets hurt, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to you know what happened to the strong safety those eight times? You know, <laughs> but uh, anyway, go ahead. No, that's a, that's
3: a fair point, though.
1: No, you're hey, you're right to say that. No one likes to see a young guy wobbling around. It's not a comfortable thing for me. You know, I make a living like this. But mm-hmm. how how outraged am I allowed to get about? It? You know, when I'm cashing checks. And my, my whole identity in my life has been about football, you know, in, a, in one way or another, as much as I try to deny it. Uh, you know, it, uh, so, I mean, I, it, that's something I struggle with. You know, there's been people that aren't happy with it and they walk away from the game, you know, one way or another. But I do find it a very interesting conundrum as we become so morally, you know, righteous, uh, it just overall as a, as a society but we still have this gigantic appetite for this sport, you know, and, you know, where I think we're already reaching the boiling point and it's good. We're paying guys, right? I mean, the school needs to pay the guy, but we're getting there, you know, and uh, but it is an interesting time and these are conversations we'll continue to have.
0: You know, we could definitely spend an entire episode, you know, with with Liam's weekly rant about, you know, screaming into the void about the powers that be in college football. But I, 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 and I'm sorry. It's my fault.
1: I've, I've taken it no, okay. off of your uh, your program and
0: agenda. I'll talk no, about this is, thing next week. No, this is what Liam does. <laughs> I, can, I, I
1: can come back for that. <laughs>
0: No, this is the intro to, to Liam. And, you know, if you get him on a tangent, he'll he'll scream at the powers that be like that. This is the Liam show. This is this is how it goes. So uh, this is definitely not abnormal. And we appreciate your your insight on that. But we got some players to talk about. Uh, we, we do a weekly pa- player focus where we talk about one group of five and one power five or FCS if you want for the group of five um two players to, to look at for this week so you know you can keep it with your game that you're you're previewing this week or you can go outside the box so petros who are two players that you're looking at for this weekend you guys start i talk too much you start, and then i'll go all
2: right, Jake, all right. what do you got yeah so uh for my group of five i am going with quarterback frank harris for the utsa Roadrunners um playing against fiu uh, Dude, i believe that that game stay. is on, i believe that that game's on friday um, yep. but that FIU defense is absolutely terrible. I think we could be seeing numbers from Frank Harris this weekend of historic proportions, uh, against that FIU, um, defense. So I, I, have absolutely no faith in FIU to stop him. And, uh, Frank Harris has been slinging the ball around all year consistently, even going back to last year. So I don't see any reason why it should stop this week. So he's my, uh, group of five player to watch. And, uh, out of the power five, I'm going with Hendon Hooker of Tennessee, uh, because this is the most vulnerable Alabama team that we have seen in quite some time. Um, their secondary did struggle at some points during the game against A&M, and Hooker can sling that thing all over the field. And uh, again, I don't expect that to stop this weekend like with Frank Harris. So uh, I think that there's a big-time Henan Hooker game potentially coming against Alabama.
3: So I'm going with
2: Kane Me-
3: Jeez, the first time I say and try it... The- <laughs> Time I try to say his name correctly I messed it up because I've been calling him Keandre. Kendra Miller running back TCU huge game against Oklahoma State I've just been preaching the fact for over a year now that Miller is just a massively underrated player in the sport and he continues to just go out there and thrive he's a draft eligible running back he excites on every touch with a sweet combination of speed Quickness, explosiveness, 7.2 yards per carry for his career. He is honestly better than Zach Evans was at TCU in 2021, but Zach Evans was the household name. Evans still a stud, not, not taking anything away from him. Miller just needs more touches, needs higher volume. If you get the ball in his hands, he's going to do great work. Get him more touches in the receiving game, some screens. We saw what he did against Oklahoma last year. Need more of that. He's just so dynamic, so deadly in the open field. And then for my group five slash FCS, Player, I switched this literally like 18 times. uh. So I I landed on my fellow redhead, Cody Mauk, left tackle at North Dakota State. <laughs> Look, Cody's the guy to watch, man. This is, you go and you watch number 70. I like him. Yeah, I saw him in one of their games. Yeah, the Arizona, he's an electric factory. <laughs> that team is so fun too with Hunter Lipke's leg dives, but the guy that's able to get Lipke into the end zone, and perform that like Dab is Malk. He's a six foot six, three hundred three-pound behemoth. You see that long, beautiful, luscious red hair flowing under his helmet. But how about that tenacity and the viciousness that he plays with and just the grace that he has with his footwork too? You're going to see him play in the NFL soon enough. He's going to play at the uh senior bowl in a few months. He'll get drafted soon after that. Cody Malk's a monster.
0: Yeah, I, there's one running back. I definitely think Kendra Miller is a a very underrated running back, but there's a running back in the country that I think is not getting enough national coverage. And it's Chase Brown. Minnesota's run defense has been really stout. So this is going to be the biggest test that he's faced, but statistically speaking, there's no better running back than Chase Brown so far this season. Uh, He has more rushing yards than 57 FBS teams have this season. Like, that's more than 40% of the teams in the FBS. He's going crazy. He had a really good year last year, has just been dominant this year. But Minnesota is a, another animal that Illinois is, has not faced so far. Minnesota's only allowed one run of 20 or more yards, and it was the 68-yarder from Devin Mockaby in the Purdue game that sealed that one. So Chase Brown has seven straight games of at least 100 yards. I think if Illinois is going to win this one, they're going to have to pound Minnesota because I don't see Tommy DeVito going off against that secondary. And Chase Brown, I, man, he is an animal. This guy has been so good to start this year, and I'm really excited to see what he does. And I'm going to stick with the South Dakota State, North Dakota State game as well. I had a feeling you would as well, but I wanted to jump in with Isaiah Davis on the other side. South Dakota State's looking for its third straight win over North Dakota State. Nobody does that against North Dakota State. Isaiah Davis is just one of the best running backs in college football, not just the FCS. The Jackrabbits, the last couple of times they've beat North Dakota State, they do it on the ground. They had 300 rushing yards in 2020. They had almost 200 last year with Pierre Strong Jr. I think they're going to do it again because North Dakota State's run defense still looks pretty vulnerable. I think Isaiah Davis is going to pummel them, and I think they're going to steal a game. But we'll talk about that as we jump into our game picks. Now, we don't have a ton of time to jump in. Wait, so.
1: wait, wait, oh, what yeah, about
0: yeah. my players? Yeah. <laughs> What kind of show is this?
1: I'm trying to be gracious. Uh, I like... I'll do running backs for you guys. In the Power Five, I like Casey Falcons, the running back for Stanford. Uh, He's great. Uh, In fact, his highlight tape is one of the great highlight tapes of all time from uh, high school. He's one of the great... uh, Maybe the greatest high school football player in the history of the state of Oregon at Lake Oswego High School. So I I like him, and he's kind of... evolving into that role is a every down back because EJ Smith is out for the year so I like Casey Philkins and I'm waiting I really I maybe I think Jordan Mims is a better back than he really is but I'm waiting and I know they're having trouble throwing the ball but the fact that Fife for Fresno State is thrown the ball a little bit downfield and they've developed a little bit more at Boise State. I hope that they can get some run lanes open for Jordan Mims and allow him to take over a game because I feel like he really can. And he hasn't had that ability yet to do so uh, in Fresno. So
0: they're sorry. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for cutting in. I, I completely. Uh, yeah, you how, that could,
3: how could
0: you? How dare you Dylan?
3: We needed some good Jordan Mims propaganda.
1: Now are you guys going to go around and do your picks?
3: Yes. Yeah. All right. I I probably
1: am going to have to get to Dodger stadium because if I miss my actual radio show, I'm going to be in trouble, but <laughs> I have enjoyed this and I will return. Uh, I will return to talk targeting anytime, <laughs> but you guys could just have me on for 10 minutes and then do your thing or, or whatever. You know, I don't want to dominate your day and your, your awesome podcast and your fabulous Twitter feed. So I appreciate you guys and thank you so much. Unless there's anything else you want from me while you go around and do
0: your picks. Insurance. I think we're pretty much set. Thank you so much for your insight and your, um, you know, your lovely analysis and, you know, ah. just giving your time. It's, it's very much appreciated.
1: <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, thank you for being so kind. You guys watching our games and tweeting about them. Uh, make everybody really happy honestly i i mean that when i say that so thank you very much and please have a wonderful day and great college football weekend and i will be watching lafayette i will oh. yeah i will be watching that and we will not be breaking in cuz that's a aspen uh fox sports one so they won't have the rights to break in don't worry <laughs> hey
2: thank you so much petros
0: thank you guys have a great week thank you thank you have a good rest of your day Big Ten. I know you're excited to watch this one. Penn State, Michigan.
2: Uh, I feel like I'm gonna regret this pick. I'm going with Penn State. I don't know. This is a pure. This is purely off of vibes. I just. I think Michigan's defense, for whatever reason, I feel like Michigan's defense is just going to somehow crumble against Sean Clifford. And putting my faith into Sean Clifford is a mistake, as far as I can think. And I don't know why I am making this pick, but I am, and I'm picking Penn State.
3: I mean, I'm also picking Penn State. Like, I truly believe that Penn State is. I like. I still think they are the second best team in the Big Ten. But I would firmly believe that if Drew Aller was the quarterback. It's just so annoying thinking about how much better this team would be with the true freshman quarterback. Uh, it, this is more so though. It's more so a play on what I don't think Michigan is, and I do think that Penn State defense is legit. Uh, King is a really good corner in addition to what Mr. Joey Porter Jr. brings to the table and the player he's developed into. I just think Penn State's better. Like I, I think that's just what it is. And maybe I'm a big giant idiot. Michigan's cupcake schedule. I maybe I'm looking into that too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, Michigan's a weird one because last year I wasn't convinced for the longest time that Michigan was legit especially when they lost to Michigan state i was like okay i'm done with michigan and and this year i i feel a little bit more inclined to believe in them i i think they've got the quarterback situation figured out which is one reason why i feel a little bit more confident in them jj mccarthy has been you know consistently getting better blake corm is one of the best running backs in the country the defense i don't think is quite as dominant as it was last year but is still good enough Um, the Penn state offense is really where I kind of lean toward Michigan here because the Penn state offense, we don't really know what we're going to get playing on the road in such a huge game, um, in such a huge environment. I don't feel like it's a Sean Clifford game to go in there and, and, you know, run it up against Michigan against that defense in that environment. I just can't see it. So I'm going to go with Michigan. I do think it's going to be a close game because I think both rushing offenses will come to play, but I I think Michigan's going to pull it out. I probably something like twenty to fourteen. I would say
3: that's, go, that's my opinion.
0: I'll go like seriously, Penn State sixteen thirteen.
2: Yeah, well, I think uh, it's gonna be ugly. I, I I'm gonna say twenty to sixteen, Penn State. These are just gross scores. It's gonna be a gross game. It's realistic though,
0: if we're being honest. Mm-hmm but if you want points you got to turn over to Kansas Oklahoma this could be a game that's a little more interesting than we would have originally thought a couple of weeks ago because we might be seeing a couple backup quarterbacks so Jake what's your feel with Kansas Oklahoma
2: ah uh, see i've been going i've been going back and forth with this one um and honestly in the last couple of moments because i have been thinking about the performance that we did see from jason bean at the end
0: of mean that game bean.
2: I mean, I, I really do truly think that Oklahoma could get beaned this weekend for um, a third straight loss, which is something that is a fourth straight loss. Oh wow, okay, yeah. Well, that shows uh, how well I've kept up with Oklahoma as of late. Um, no, I, I I think that this could be a potential huge letdown for the Sooners, and uh, I'm gonna go with the Kansas Jayhawks for that. Can't that uh that Oklahoma defense is absolutely atrocious. I mean, we. Yeah. I think that it more shows so more so showed their problems uh, during the um, TCU game than the Texas game, because everybody knew that the talent out there for Texas was probably just going to outclass Oklahoma. But during that TCU game, I mean, the coverage was just awful. And for having a guy like Brent Venables come in that preaches defense, if your talent's not there, it's not going to matter what kind of coaching scheme that you have. It's just not going to be good results. And so I do truly think that Kansas, uh, could absolutely win this game in Norman. It's an 11 a.m. game. It's already weird enough. So I, I'm going to pick the Kansas Jayhawks.
3: Well, I love Jason B and loved him back in his days in those beautiful North Texas uniforms. But this is a tough spot with the emotions that Kansas just went through with college games game day being there for the first time ever, losing a close game that they really could have, should have maybe won against TCU, a really good TCU team. Now you're playing OU on the road, a team that just got blown out and shut out by their arch rival that has started 0-3 in conference play, that has struggled the last, you know, month. They they have not been good. That can't stay game. They have not, not been good since then. This is just a bad spot, I think, for Kansas that is getting this Oklahoma team that just is desperate. They're desperate to figure it out and get a win on the board. I don't. Th- I think Kansas is the better team, but I'm picking Oklahoma. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I hate this game. I also hate
2: that we're picking it. Yeah, it's we we did
0: this with the TCU Oklahoma game it was the same thing with Oklahoma where we were like hey Oklahoma's is, is pissed they're angry they need a win and I was like this TCU team is straight up better like this team is faster more explosive Oklahoma's defense can't handle them I'm feeling the same way I am done with Oklahoma I think they're garbage I think the defense is arguably as bad oh, as I it's ever garbage been too. in the last decade like they've had some garbage shit defenses in the last <laughs> 10 years and they just are not anywhere close to a Brent Venables defense, what they should be. And this Kansas offense, Jalen Daniels or Na- or no Jalen Daniels should run over this Oklahoma defense. And I think they'll do that. I think Jason Bean is going to show that, you know, don't sleep on this Kansas offense without Jalen Daniels. I know he's making all the headlines. I know he's getting all the glory and he should. But Jason Bean is a capable quarterback, as we saw last week. And they still have all the playmakers in the world to get it done. I think their defense is underrated. But if you know if, if Dylan Gabriel plays, maybe I change my mind. I don't expect him to. Oklahoma's offense without Dylan Gabriel in that Texas game was gross and I disgusting. Was. It was awful. One of the worst performances I've ever seen. I don't know why I watched as much of that game as I did. But with that being said, I'm going Kansas we're going to stick in the big 12 with a much more exciting game, Oklahoma state TCU.
2: Oh um, yeah. So for, for this game, um, it's kind of, you know, I, I talked about it before it's probably the game of the year in the big 12, at least thus far um, really explosive offenses on both sides of the ball. Um, it, this one is pretty much a toss up. It's going to be whichever team can put up the most points. Um, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of defense played in this game, but what defense that there is being played is probably going to decide the outcome of it. I'm going to stick with what I know though. And what I do know is that Mike Gundy coaches his teams to win games like this. He's probably the best motivator in all of college football. Uh, Best best pure coach does more with, or does more with less than any coach in the country. So I'm going to go with the pokes.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know who to pick in this game. And when we picked that TCU Oklahoma game that Don alluded to, I instantly regretted not picking TCU. And I would feel the same way here. I have to pick TCU. I have to go what I believed in. It's just like I I like I believed in this team coming into the season. I haven't showed that until they started to climb up the ranks. And now like I'm higher with my rankings and other people and everything. But it's like, I believed in this team and signing Dykes to do something nasty. And I just wasn't showing that. I have to show it. Here's the issue. I think, I I, I don't think TCU is going to play in the Big 12 championship. <laughs> I think they're going to lose that Texas and that Baylor in two of the last, they, they play them on the back-to-back, both on the road uh in the last three weeks of the season. Like, I love this TCU team. I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to make that outside run at the playoff, but I'm worried about, about those two games down on the road, but I'm not worried about
0: this week. I think TCU is going to win this one by 10 plus. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I've been so back and forth on this Oklahoma Oklahoma state team, because Spencer Sanders has been phenomenal, but the defense lost a lot of pieces and it's kind of showed so far. And I honestly don't think there is a defense in the country that can slow down this TCU offense right now. And I don't think Oklahoma State has the facilities, should I say, to slow down Kendry Miller and Quentin Johnston and Max Duggan. The, those guys are just the way you described Cody Malk, an electric factory. And they're so exciting to watch. I think TCU and Oklahoma State are going to be the two teams that have the best shot of getting into the playoff out of the the big 12. Um, I think TCU is the better team right now, but I would not be surprised if Oklahoma state wins this game, just because Mm -hmm. I've been sleeping on them a little bit. I picked Baylor to beat them earlier in the year. Um, And you talked about it, Jake, how they're, you know, Mike Gundy is one of the best coaches at winning games like this. And I don't think that's talked enough, talked about enough, but I think TCU is going to win this game. I don't know about 10 plus I think it could be a really high scoring game Uh, maybe one team gets a big lead and another one comes back late makes it interesting I'm not 100 sure Um, but it's going to be a lot of points.
3: like I I truly believe that these are two of the best 10 teams in the country and we would be just honored to be able to see them play again in the big 12 championship but (laughs) Texas too man like they're so good too and Oh my goodness. Can we talk about Max Duggan? Because this isn't the same guy that has been there the last few years. Like they literally, it's like Frankenstein. They put this guy in the lab, did some surgery on him, and he came out like an absolute monster, a different beast. He's been unbelievable. And then Kendra Miller, what he does on near every touch he has is what people think Bijan Robinson does on every touch that Bijan has. Just the, the way that Miller's able to, his contact balance just slide off of incoming tacklers, bounce off people like it's nothing. The spins that he has, everything he does, it perfectly encapsulates. Oh my. It's like he's like the perfect running back. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. Ugh. Well, good news is I think
2: he, he could definitely get that respect after this week because this is going to be a game that is watched by a lot of people. Yeah, here's the issue.
3: It's going to hurt me when I'm trying to get him in fantasy next year.
0: <laughs> it's kind of been a theme in the Big 12, like toward the top of the Big 12. is just the resurgence of quarterbacks who were, you know, otherwise unproven. Like Adrian Martinez has done a phenomenal job with Kansas State so far. <laughs> we should far. do a Frankenstein Which, meme for him and Sanders and Duggan. Yeah, Jalen Daniels, same thing um yeah it's it's been phenomenal to watch I guess Donovan Smith to an extent as well has been really good um and Bayer like shaping... yeah. and the freshman looks like he's going to be incredible yeah so yeah it's a, it's the time of the quarterback in the in the big 12 but speaking of quarterback the, the NC State Syracuse game is going to be a weird one because we don't know if Devin Leary is going to play and Garrett Schrader has been playing very very good football so uh, this is one of the biggest games in the carrier dome in years this is a ranked top 20 game that could play a big factor in the ACC Atlantic. So Jake, where are you going with this one?
2: I'm going to lean towards NC state, you know, as we alluded to earlier, I just don't know that um, Sean Tucker is going to be able to put up, you know, huge numbers against this NC state defense. Um, I'm, I read something that's leaning towards Devin Leary playing this weekend. So, um, you know, with Devin Leary, I think it's a pretty easy pick for NC state uh, without, um it's kind of a toss-up I'm gonna go purely I'm just gonna go with the Wolfpack.
3: um look even if Devin Leary plays I don't think they win I love Devin Leary I loved him coming into the year he has not taken the strides that he needed to in a huge draft year for him and that's not all his fault he looks so good in the Clemson loss the offensive line is terrible the receiving core is is pretty much what I say about Miami These guys are terrible receiver and Devin Carter might not play in this game too. So that's another huge thing to look at. I think Syracuse is getting disrespected. Like, I don't think they're as bad of a team as people make them out to be. I think they're a lot better. The defense is really good and does not get any credit at all. It doesn't make any sense. Garrett Williams is one of the best corners in the sport. People just don't know it yet. Sean Tucker's production hasn't been on him. It's been on the offensive line. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be gross. It's going to be kind of Big Tenny. I like Syracuse in like a 24-20 kind of game. I honestly just think they're the better team right now like nc state has not proved anything aside from having a shiny number next to their name coming into the season and big game boomer
2: pick him to make
3: the playoff like that's their accolades right hey
2: now. we don't say that name on this pod you oh, made we that do what
3: we do when it's talking about his uh oh shoot he's the reason i picked fsu last week though and then Drewster changes pick to fsu thanks big game boomer
0: censor <laughs> that adam Right, well, and and Andrew, because we put this on the pod as well. So yes, Andrew, that that name's going not going out on the on the airwaves. Uh, The the biggest factor here is is what kind of offense will they run? Should Devin Leary not play? Because when Jack Chambers was out there, they weren't throwing the ball at all. Like they didn't they didn't trust Jack Chambers to throw the ball downfield. And I agree with you, the receivers are not there, so maybe that part played a part of it as well. But Jack Chambers can throw the ball. He was a former four-year starter at Charleston Southern. You know, Petrus was talking about old guys. This guy's an old guy. So he is not inept at throwing the football. But the guys that he's throwing to seem to be inept at catching the football. That's yeah. not a good combination. They, I don't know if they have the rushing offense to keep up with Syracuse's more complete offense. And I don't think they can do it against that Syracuse rush defense. That has been really impressive syracuse's Mm -hmm. defense will turn you over they'll get in the backfield they're just an aggressive defense and i agree with you they're one of the more underrated defenses in the country the dome is going to be rocking give me syracuse i I think this is going to be one of the better games in the acc and people are going to stop sleeping on syracuse but they play at clemson the following week so we're really going to see really tough stretch yeah, I think I read that they were, like, they had a they top had like 20 Forest, easiest like schedule good. in the in the first half of the year and then, like, top 10 hardest in the second half of the year. Like, we're really going to find out what Syracuse yeah. is about in the second half. Sticking with the ACC and the Atlantic, Clemson, Florida State. Jake, what do you got?
2: I'm going to go Clemson. Um, I don't feel great, like, amazing about this Clemson team this year. At times, they've looked really good, and at other times, they've looked – Like, they're going to crack. It honestly just kind of depends on what kind of offense we're going to get out of Dabo this week. Uh, You know, I I don't know. I'm going to go with Clemson.
3: I think it's funny because after Clemson wins this game, they're going to have three of the best wins in the country. They're going to have the win at Wake Forest. They're going to have a home win against NC State, and they're going to have a road win at Florida State.
2: Find me a better resume than that at this point in the season. I raise you. Okay. You know what? I'll, I'll save what I'm going to, what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh,
0: that's, that'll be exciting, (sighs) man. I've been so high on this Florida state team all year. You know, I I was picking them to win pretty much every game. I picked them to beat Wake Forest and I, I, I picked them to lose against NC state just because the offense seems to be teetering off a little bit and it's, it's kind of freaking me out because um, the rushing offense was insane to start the season. The three-headed monster that they have in the backfield has been so exciting. Jordan Travis has been revitalized, as we've talked about some of these quarterbacks that have come back from the dead, shall we say. And the defense has been solid, and they've, they've done a really good job the last few weeks, even though they've lost. Um, you know, the week four game could have really gotten out of hand. Um, I really, really think that this will be a huge, huge test for this Clemson team that people might be sleeping on, playing in that environment. But I do think this Clemson team is coming into its own. I think DJU is capable of you know, putting up numbers, which is just a crazy thing to say compared numbies. to what we saw last year. Um, I'm not ready to throw out the word elite at DJU yet, but I think the rest of this team is very elite. I just think they're the better team. I don't usually go with the safer pick. I'm going with the safer pick. I'm going to go with Clemson here. I think what we need to
3: just say real quick for DJU, isn't it funny how different a quarterback could look when the offensive line is a bit more competent, when the receivers actually know how to catch a ball, and when Tony Elliott departs your program? Well, that's kind of interesting that DJU was set for failure. and Now that he's not, he's actually being able to do his thing and show us that talent that hadn't, Mount sack in this top 10 when he was a
0: recruit. Mississippi state, Kentucky. Some, for some reason, this is still a ranked game. I don't know why Kentucky is ranked. Jake, you talked about it a little bit. What do you have on this one?
2: Yeah. So as somebody who has come victim to the Mike Leach experience in the last couple of weeks, Will Rogers is going to do everything in his power to tear your defense apart. And Mike Leach does not care. He just wants to win every game by 50 if he can. Um, They ripped apart Arkansas last weekend and Arkansas looked terrible um, against Mississippi state. Will Rogers, there might not be a better power five quarterback than him this year. I don't think he's getting talked about enough. Still. Um, I completely believe in that offense. Uh, It's an air raid system. They play with a lot of pace. Nobody has really been able to stop it yet. So uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Mississippi State. I do not like Kentucky at all. I've been saying for a long time that they were overrated. The fact that they are still somehow ranked, as Dylan just said, is completely unbelievable to me. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be a library at Kroger Field uh, after this game is over.
3: They're only still ranked because Love is play playing
2: that game against South Carolina. And Jake, I want to take you and
3: everyone else listening back on trip down memory road. Remember a few weeks ago when on one of our review pods, we had that beautiful task of naming our most overrated team in the country. And you and I both said, the basketball school that is Kentucky. And I said, look, they have this four game stretch coming up that they're guaranteed going one and three. And I think they're going to 0 and four. And so you could give me all Mississippi stay, and Kentucky can lose next week too and perfect that 0 and four stretch.
2: And I will say this real quick. Mississippi State, to me, has looked like the most complete team in the SEC West so far this year.
0: You'd have thought that back in week one. That's kind of crazy. Um, will Levis is back at practice, and I don't think that makes a difference whatsoever. I don't care how much mayonnaise he puts in his coffee before the game. I don't care if he's listening to Meek Mill, Kid cuddy in the locker room. I really don't care what he does. This Kentucky team has not shown me anything. Like, I know they beat Florida early in the year. Kentucky seems to always be good for a win over a overrated Florida team uh, every season. It just feels like I have no faith in Kentucky. Now, with that being said, don't usually usually when I am so low on a team that I don't even consider them to win, Dylan. they win. This is what happens. I don't want Kentucky to win because I don't think they're better than Mississippi State whatsoever. But I'm going to go insane here, and I'm going to pick Kentucky, just because I feel like everybody's going to pick Mississippi State. For a reason. Yeah, I I want to pick Mississippi State. My head tells me Mississippi State, but my dumbass gut says Kentucky's (laughs) going to win this game. (laughs) Kentucky is a few days
3: away from being sent to the shadow realm where all those overrated top 25 teams end up when they lose their shiny number. Arkansas, Notre Dame, Miami, etc. That's where Kentucky's going. Thank goodness,
0: Dylan just helped that happen by picking Kentucky and making sure we don't have a full sweep of
3: Mississippi State.
0: And you know what's funny? I'm looking at our picture sheet right now. I literally wrote Mississippi State down. Like that's oh, no. how much I think Mississippi State's going to win this game. And I just changed in the last ten seconds oh, because no. I always lose when it comes to Kentucky every single time. It doesn't matter how good they are, how bad they are. I have never picked a Kentucky game right. So I'm going to go stupid. I'm going to pick Kentucky. Give me an L. I don't care. I'm already toward the bottom. All right, let's go with a game that people are actually going to enjoy watching. USC and Utah, probably the game of the year in the Pac-12 so far. Let's kick it off.
2: Yeah, for me, um, I'm going to go with Utah. I really did think that they were going to – going into that game against UCLA, I really did think that they were going to be able to slow down DTR and that offense at UCLA. Um, Shout out to you, Liam, because I've been so low on UCLA all year and they finally – Same. Yeah, so uh, that that was really surprising to me. And, uh, you know, Cam Rising has been without, you know, his biggest weapon um, so far this season. And, uh, you know, losing Brent Cuthy really does hurt that offense – And uh, I'm going to go with SC. I just think that you can't really stop that combination of Addison and Williams uh, going downfield. That's a one-two punch, like no other in college football right now. And uh, yeah, vibes are just pushing me towards SC on this one.
3: Yeah, Brad Keith, he's a stud. Stinks that he's always going to have a successful NFL career. Dalton Kincaid is also, though, in the same right. Stud going to be in the NFL. Faith Lutheran High School in Las Vegas, stand up. That's where Lukey went. No biggie. They're only producing NFL players. Look, though. look, look, look. First off, take the UCLA comment. I will be picking Oregon next week, just so we're aware on that. I will That's continue fine. to pick against UCLA. It's the <laughs> vibes, I have to do my part. But this is USC Utah. <laughs> this is a massive game. I'm picking SC. I I, I think that it seems like an eternity ago that Petros brought this up. He said about Utah, the physicality, the toughness. That's not there with this Utah defense right now. That was evident in the losses to Florida and UCLA. What happened in those two games with dual threat quarterbacks? They were able to just, those offenses were able to carve on the edge. Utah's soft on defense. I'm sorry, they're soft. Outside Clark Phillips, the third, they're soft. It's wild to say. I, and Caleb Williams, if you watch this kid play, if you haven't watched him yet, you're in for an absolute treat. Everything that he's been able to do in this development has been of the like, it's it's been perfection. Watch this kid in the pocket. Watch him move around. Watch his footwork. Watch him just glide in the pocket and make these easy throws. It's so graceful. It's it's a masterpiece. Uh, SC's going to win this game. I, I just... Utah really disappointed me. They really have disappointed me. Uh their defense isn't to a level where it needs to be at all. And their
2: rushing attack just also doesn't feel very Utah y. Uh, and even also I, I just don't think that SC's defense gets enough credit. I mean they've looked I don't either. They've looked pretty freaking solid so far up to this point this year. And I don't see any reason why that's gonna stop this week so you know sc yeah. just seems like sc it does seem like too easy of a pick in vegas i don't think is even giving sc enough credit i know it's a game on the road but still i th- i think that three and a half points is a little bit disrespectful to usc i mean it used to be like six and a half so that
3: number has come down but the sc defense does not get enough credit and i'll just quickly say this so we can let down speak about this game The SC defense all year has been forcing turnovers at a high rate. So you could say that they get carved up and stuff, but they're very opportunistic and they don't get enough credit. Look what Thule's doing down low in the trenches too. They're tough. They play with grit. They play good, savvy football. They're a better team that they get credit for. It's been the offense that hasn't been exploding in the last few weeks. You
0: know what's really funny is – before the season started and everybody was looking at this USC team from head to toe and everybody was overanalyzing what Lincoln Riley was going to bring, what Caleb Williams was going to bring, what every PAC 12 receiver that they got via the transfer portal was going to bring. Everybody was like, what's going to happen in the trenches? This team is inept in the trenches. They're, they're not going to be able to block anybody. The defense isn't going to be able to get after the quarterback. And look what you just said the the trenches have been tough and physical and in my opinion, I think they've been tough and physical on both sides of the ball. You know, they've they've opened up paths for Travis Dye and Austin Jones has looked reborn after having just a pitiful last couple of years at Stanford. They, they, look, they look solid on both sides of the ball on the trenches. Now, with that being said, you talked about Utah's run game has been super disappointing. I thought Tavion Thomas was going to be one of the best running backs in the country this year. I feel like I haven't even heard his name this year since the Florida game. Um, you know, the defense, has there been a bigger loss in, for a college football team than Devin Lloyd nope. for Utah? Like that that loss killed Utah. Their defense has been really, really poor outside of Clark Phillips, of course, the best corner in the country. He's like the Bugatti in like that little apartment on the side of the street, the little motel. That's what it feels like.
3: <laughs> I like I was, that meme. I think we're at like four straight podcasts where we have brought that meme up and we've all described it in different ways. Place.
0: <laughs> oh man I'm gonna have to fact check that that's funny but man Hark Phillips deserves better which is crazy because it felt like you know he was one of the more underrated pieces of that defense last year we I think we all knew how good he was but it felt like nationally he wasn't getting the attention because of Devin Lloyd because of Nephi Sewell even was getting a lot of the love so this Utah defense needs a lot of help I think they're still going to struggle against USC but for some reason I'm feeling a, a a revamped Utah offense. I think they're going to come into their own. I think this will be the best, most complete performance we've seen from Cam Rising, Tavion Thomas, Devon Vele, Dalton Kincaid. The offensive line I'm a little concerned about. I mean, I don't think Thule is going to get contained ever again this year. But I'm going to put my faith in the Utah basket here. I'm going with the Utes. Mm -hmm. I respect that. This one's a little different. I I didn't expect this game to make it in our in our ten, Good but day. I am kind of excited for it, which is weird. North Carolina and Duke, the rivalry, bring it to the football field, bring for it the to the gridiron. Gym. Fake victory bell.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Tobacco Road, always a great game in college basketball. Not college basketball though. Um, for me, the thing that this is that this game is going to come down to. It's going to be a pretty big offensive game. Um, I don't really believe so much in Duke's offense being able to outscore Drake May. Um, I'm going to go with UNC. I like, uh, I I like the line a lot on this game too. I think UNC could potentially blow them out. Duke just came off of a terrible loss to Georgia tech. Um, That's inexcusable. And uh, North Carolina looks like they've really, you know, been able to find themselves again since losing to Notre Dame. So Uh, I'm going to go with the Tar Heels this week after they just barely squeaked out a win over the Hurricanes over the weekend. It was evident that Duke was overlooking Georgia Tech and was fully focused on
3: this rivalry game. I'm taking Duke to win last week. Look, Adam brought up that UNLV was my team. I was like, dude, what? No, that's Uncle Kenny's team. Duke is Cousin Alex's team. So, Cousin Alex, we're riding with Duke in this rivalry game. Uh, Look, the guy to watch, though, in this game, aside from Drake May, is Duke cornerback Joshua Pickett, who is quickly emerging into a star. People don't know it yet. He's an NFL
0: guy. That's all I'm saying. Give me Duke. I need to row my own boat here for a minute because I picked in August – as our quarterbacks to invest in, I picked Drake May. And at the time, I don't think people really even knew that he was going to be the starting quarterback. And I would just like to row my own boat and say, I was right about this kid. And the thing that's so impressive to me is the, the receiving core has been kind of a rotating door with, with Josh Downs early, um, his early injuries and just they've kind of had a little bit of inconsistency in the last couple years but i think this north carolina offense is gonna run it up i think this is gonna be a blowout in my opinion i i don't like the north carolina defense let me be clear i think duke is gonna put up points i just think north carolina is gonna put up a lot more points That's, that's my analysis 35 Something like that, no, probably not like that, but yeah, okay. probably by tw- I will say by 17 plus. How
3: about a nice 73 70 game with maybe a buzzer beater three to
0: close it? Yeah, that's the wrong score, I think. Luke May at the buzzer. Oh, Drake May. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you did we're, that talking on what? were talking football. We're talking football here. Different May. All right, well, it's time. I'm going to kick it off to Liam first for this one okay. because this is the FCS game of the week, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. Liam, run away with it. What do I you got? might
3: not be a Star Wars guy, but Adam, you might want to turn this into a Star Wars graphic where it, like, you know, the thingy where word, the words go down. I'm not a Star Wars guy. Sorry. The time has come. We have arrived, folks. There's a battle like no other on the horizon in Fargo, North Dakota, this Saturday. The number one team in the FCS is hosting the number two team in the FCS. It's a heated rivalry with no love lost, but a gargantuan amount of respect shared between these programs. The Dakota marker is on the line. This is North Dakota State versus South Dakota State. These are moments you need to cherish. Now, I told you one verse two. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that happens in college football a good bit. No, the Fargo Dome opened in 1993. This is the first time that number one, number two are playing in the Fargo Dome. This is a rarity in the FCS. Number one, and two have only matched up six times in history, and that includes playoff play since the playoff seating doesn't reflect the FCS rankings. This is going to be the seventh meeting in FCS history between number one and two. That's insane. The last time this happened, in the regular season was 1992 Northern Iowa beat Idaho 27 to 26. There's just so much on the line in this game. This rivalry dates back to 1903 North Dakota state beat South Dakota state 85, nothing, 85, nothing. That's a score that was similar to Delaware, William and Mary last uh, week when I talked about that game, the Bison, They lead this series 63-44 to 5. Since 2016, they've evenly split 4-4 and record because that does include postseason play and the regular season. South Dakota State's won the last two. They've won four of the last six. This is is like this rivalry is just so evenly played. The Dakota marker was introduced to this rivalry in 2004. It's it's one of the coolest trophies. It's like a replica model of of what marks – words are tough you know but it's really cool and it's marked with nd and sd it says 190 m on it for the miles that that uh distance fargo and 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 brookings uh 75 pound trophy the winning team they're going to obsess over it they're going to run around the stadium holding that that 75 pound trophy now here's the thing i know here's the thing my game pick i had to hype it up what did north dakota state head coach matt ent say just today Yes, today, so Tuesday. Uh, here's what he said. They're the best team in the country. You look at their resume, they've played better football than we have, and we have a lot to work, of work to do. That could be rat poison, but that's North Dakota, H, North Dakota State HC saying that South Dakota State has been the better team. You could give me the Jackrabbits in this one. I think 33-30 we go to overtime. There's too many players in this game to talk about.
2: Uh, this is a preview of the national championship game, though.
0: Just when you thought he was done. Go ahead, oh, Jake. Uh,
2: I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that up. How to hype uh, it up? Well, no, you know, you did a great job of hyping it up. I learned Thank more you. about I learned more about the history of that rivalry than you, I knew definitely before that speech. Um yep. yeah, difference maker in this game for me is gonna be Tamaric Williams, uh, running back for North Dakota State, excellent runner. So yards per carry last week were off the charts against the Indiana State Sycamores. Do I, have, do I got that yes. right, Liam? Yep. All right, yeah, awesome. It. Yep, against the Sycamores last week, 11.2 yards per carry last week, 145 on the ground, three touchdowns. He's going to be the difference maker this week against that Jackrabbits defense. Give me the Bison at home looking to avenge that two-game losing streak no. to the Jackrabbits. Bison. Bison.
3: Yep, say it like a North Dakota and, and put some respect on fullback Hunter Lipke. They've been I, look. I knew look, it. I'm sorry. I have to. I have to bring this up. They, if you look at uh, his it just his touches over the course of the season, he's gotten like seven or nine total or something in the last two games. They've been pre- preserving his workload for this game. They are going to unleash Lipke the Leg Dabber in this game. Best fullback in the country. Best fullback prospect that you've seen since Kyle Uzcheck.
0: I'd love to speak now. Is this my, my cue?
3: No, because Cody Malk is a stud. Adam <laughs> Adam Bach, at linebacker for South Dakota State, has NFL written all over him. People don't talk about him enough. South Dakota State's getting Tucker Kraft back for this game. He's been out with a high ankle sprain since the Iowa game, so Craft back is massive, unfortunately. North Dakota State tight end Noah Gindorf, who we also interviewed, won't be playing in this game. Shout-out Mark Gronowski, who we also interviewed. South Dakota State quarterback, he's a stud. Fun game, fun vibes
0: words yeah okay so the stat that i wrote down and the only stat i wrote down because i knew i wasn't going to have any time to talk about this game was in their last 100 meetings or their last 100 games north dakota state is 92 and eight four of those eight losses are to south dakota state no other team has beaten north dakota state multiple times in the last 11 years so I am running with the Jackrabbits in this one as well, because I do think North Dakota state has a lot of vulnerability to where they usually seem like a complete team. They've had more undefeated seasons than losses is what it feels like in the last decade. Plus, I yeah. think that South Dakota state is the best team in the FCS. I think that their offense is starting to come into its own after kind of looking dead in the first couple of weeks. I know they played Iowa. Um, but I do think that Isaiah Davis is going to be the difference. I think the ground game in general is going to be the difference as it seems to have been the last couple of years when these teams have met. So give me the Jack rabbits and there's, shall we move forward? Now? No,
3: there, there's no reason that this game should not be on national TV every year. It's a slap in the face of this rivalry is stuck on ESPN plus it's a slap in the face of so many good FCS games. Well, like they don't get national TV enough and it doesn't make sense. The fact that this game is being played in the same time slot as some other key games I won't name is, is ridiculous. If I'm being honest, I think that this should be a yearly Friday night game that is on ESPN or something that gets the respect that it deserves the national recognition one and two in the F- FCS are playing on ESPN plus gross national
0: televises game cowards. You want my ESPN Plus password Liam because I can No, I have it. It's
3: just it should it should be on National TV. Like it
0: it's, it's not right. That's very fair. Well, there is one last game to talk about that will be on National TV. Yeah, this
2: stinks. And it, hey, let's not be slander about. this. As an SEC guy, I'm very offended.
0: Yeah, as a hardcore SEC guy myself, as we all know, I think this is going to be a very fun game. Tennessee hosting Alabama Jake you're the SEC guy let's start it off with you what do you got
2: yeah so this is probably the game of the year at least to this point in the SEC these are two of the strongest looking teams in the SEC and my pick will not change regardless of who Alabama has at quarterback Bryce Young obviously a Heisman caliber quarterback Um, he's missed uh, the last half against Arkansas and then obviously he was out last game versus Texas A&M um, and we saw what Jalen Milro can do, and it's not very pretty. Um, you know, obviously, Bama does have uh, Jameer Gibbs, who I think didn't earn enough respect at Georgia Tech. Now he's getting it under that spotlight in Tuscaloosa. And uh, I think that Bama's weapons aren't as good as they usually are, especially at receiver. Um, they have a definitely more balanced receiving attack than they've had in the past. There's nobody that really jumps off the page when you look at them. However, go over to Tennessee. I mean, you are facing a beast with this Tennessee team. The vibes are feeling like 98 in Knoxville, Neyland stadium is going to be rocking. It's a game that we haven't seen in a long time for Tennessee fans. And uh, I'm really excited for it. Hendon Hooker has played absolutely outstanding this year. And uh, you know, Liam, I know that you talked about it earlier with resumes or was it? Yeah. With resumes. I don't think that with my pick, I'm picking Tennessee. I just want to say that. Um, with this, I don't think that there's a better resume in the country than Tennessee. And I don't. I think Tennessee has the potential to win this game by quite a bit, to be honest with you. Um, that, you know, rushing attack with Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, they really do have kind of a two-headed monster. And Hendon Hooker can also get out of the pocket, too, and move the ball downfield when he needs to in his hands. And then I haven't even talked about guys like, you know, Brew McCoy or Jalen Hyatt for um, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, am going to go with the balls this weekend. Uh, I just think that this is the most vulnerable that a Bama team has looked at or looked in uh, quite some time. So yeah, go balls. It's very optimal too, that we see if Cedric Tillman who suffered a high ankle sprain
3: back against Akron does end up playing in this game. I know he's questionable slash doubtful. So that's something to keep track of. Bama's won fifteenth straight in this rivalry. The last close game was in 2015. This game is being played on the third Saturday in October, of course, on the fifteenth. Some numerology there, if you're into that. I'm not, but I thought the numbers were cool. Hey, did your parents ever tell you to stop playing with your food? With your food? Why well, say that's so weird? Parents ever tell you to stop playing with your food? Yeah, that's oh, that our that yes. It. Yeah, that was I it. was just asking. I was literally asking you guys, but yeah, oh. sure oh, told oh, you okay. To stop. I was <laughs> I, I'm sure that they've told you to stop playing with their food. So Alabama yeah. needs to stop playing with their food before things get messy. Like they're sure. going to lose this game. I'm taking the vols here. This is what the sport is all about. Leading up to this point, there has not been one true Heisman moment from anybody. This is our first moment our first time all year where someone will have their Heisman moment. It's Himden Hooker. This is his time. This is his stage. Hendon, Hendog, Hooker. This is what he's going to do to solidify himself as a first-round NFL draft pick, which he should be. I don't know why more people have will Levis over him. The two quarterbacks are not even in the same galaxy. Himden is so much better. This is the time for Tennessee. They're going to have a shiny, nice, cool number two next to their name next week.
0: I'm going to row my own boat again, shall we, while we're in the middle of this? I was the only person, okay, out of our group early in the season to have Hendon Hooker as a top five quarterback, and I still stand on that. I will never, ever understand why Justin Fuente thought that Braxton Burmeister was the better quarterback than Hendon Hooker. I didn't think it at the time. There's no debate (laughs) that Braxton Burmeister is on the same universe as Hendon hooker Hendon hooker is a phenomenal quarterback I don't care about his age the dude is outstanding the playmakers that they have Cedric Tillman or no Cedric Tillman are phenomenal Cedric Tillman went nuts against Alabama last year yeah they lost but he is one of the best receivers in the country when he's healthy they will also be missing potentially their starting left tackle Gerald Mincy that might play an issue but their offensive line still is outstanding without him but, of course, you want him back. This Tennessee team, like you said, this program, has lost 15 in a row to Alabama, seven in a row in Knoxville, haven't won in 16 years. I think this is the year it all ends. I think this is the year that we see Tennessee rush the field and Nick Saban probably gives another cold handshake or whatever. You know, there's going to be some headlines, some quote about, you know, we're garbage we're not going to make it blah 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 he's going to throw his team under the bus I don't know some crazy thing's going to happen with Nick Saban I feel at the end of this game but if anybody out there is listening to this and you work security at Neyland Stadium I don't know why you'd be listening to this but you should because our podcast is great up the ante because I have a feeling Tennessee fans are going to come out menacingly with their mustard bottles, with their golf balls. I just have this feeling that Tennessee fans are going to make their presence known, not just by noise, but by some other second thing, they're going to make their uh, presence known. Yeah.
3: They're going to go crazy and bring ketchup this year.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see a step up from, uh, from mustard and golf balls. I I low-key think we're going to see batteries.
0: Or, uh, some other, uh, Toy, shall we say, like Buffalo Bills fans have done. I mean, uh, like yes. Tennessee, Tennessee fans don't don't hold back. I don't. No. I don't think they'll hold back against the most amped up game in Tennessee in this century, should I say? I mean, this is a huge, huge game for this program. I think if Tennessee wants to go to the college football playoff, this is their chance. Obviously, they play in Athens against Georgia in a few weeks. I think that one will decide the division I think it'll decide who goes to the college football playoffs like that game is going to be huge as well but Tennessee right now I have a lot more confidence in that team to beat Alabama than I thought even at the beginning of the season I picked Tennessee to beat Alabama as one of my hot takes at the beginning of the season I didn't think I'd feel this comfortable picking them at this point in the season now because this Alabama team like you said you know the the weapons just aren't there there's no Devontae smith there's no amari cooper julio jones like one guy that just blows you away at the receiver they have the talent but the production has just not really been there it's been very well balanced in they're a not sense playing, jameer gibbs
3: i am also playing the right guys at receiver I've said for like a month plus there's not playing the right guys your Corey Brooks is a dude I think Jermaine Burden's overrated you need to see Shaz Preston Kobe Prentice uh all these other young talented stuff that they have I'm blanking on Isaiah Bond like if Aaron Anderson wasn't in a boot if he never got hurt in the summer he's a true freshman that's electrifying right now they just don't play the right guys I receiver. I promise sorry to cut you off and stuff but yeah
2: Oh, no, I, I was just going to say I am now terrified because all three of us have now picked against Nick Saban. And, uh,
3: yeah. yeah, but Nick Saban doesn't care about us. I He cares about the fans that are rushing the field after and throwing mustard and ketchup on the field. I He cares about giving Hype a cold handshake. Hmm.
2: Well, Mr. Bloodman, we have a saying here in the South, the devil works harder, but Nick Saban works hard, or the devil works hard, but Nick Saban works harder. And uh, so, you know, I'm... Quite uh, nervous now that we've all picked them, but um, yeah. But
3: here's the good thing: we have like 90 other people on our team that will be picking, and you know they'd be picking Bama. Actually, I know like five of us at least have Tennessee, so it's not. Can we yeah, say Petros yeah. took Bama?
2: <laughs> Send him a message that we picked Bama on his behalf.
0: Oh man, shout out to Petros, man! Well, thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in. This has been a jam-packed episode. If you're here to the end, we thank you. Please follow us subscribe make sure to like and comment on youtube give us a five-star rating on yelp on google whatever the hell that you can do to give us some love we really appreciate it so thank you so much enjoy your college football weekend this is going to be a fun one and we'll see you in the next episode